House Style Written by Soft October and read by Literarian Chapter 3 The next day was Tuesday, and each Tuesday Newt would bring fancy coffee to Anathema from some shop around the corner as an excuse to talk to her for as long as his social anxiety could stand. His record, according to Michael, was seven minutes and six seconds, although she had been doing most of the talking. Newt was just getting to the part of the morning where he listened patiently while Anathema furiously flicked through her phone for the article on global warming she was quite adamant had it all wrong when Crowley gently knocked on the open door to Aziraphale's office. Crowley, how can I help you? Aziraphale greeted him, too quickly. Crowley didn't seem to notice and asked if he could commandeer one of the empty desks out on the floor to use as a workstation. Those desks had been sitting empty for ages now, ever since Adam and Eve had taken off for greener pastures and gotten out of the business completely, and they were currently being used as sort of a catch-all to put the odd documents that needed a place to be promptly lost, forgotten about, or have tea spilled on them by an absent-minded floor manager with his nose stuck in a book. I don't see why not, Aziraphale replied. If anything looks important. You mean if I see anything that looks important in a tea-stained pile of documents that are all at least two years old? Yes, be a dear and put it on the other pile of tea-stained documents, would you? Mm. Yeah. Crowley was scratching the back of his head in a manner that was really too endearing to be tolerated. Yeah, sure. He bumbled out of the office like a man in a daze, and Haziraphale had to wonder just what that was all about. He put it in the back of his mind as he tackled his workload for the day, and when he emerged from his office at three that afternoon, Eve's old desk had been transformed into a pristine workstation. Had the top of the desk really been black this whole time? With hardly anything on its polished surface at all, save for one very fancy-looking laptop in the centre. On Wednesday, as Mr. Young was grumbling good-naturedly about someone stealing the biscuits he bought from the bakery down the road from out of the office fridge, Crowley wandered over to the copy machine, where Aziraphale was trying and failing to tow a waste bin out of sight. It was only by the massive underdevelopment of Mr. Young's observational skills that he was missed at all. Mr. Young's predicament wouldn't have anything to do with that package you were eating out of earlier, would it? Crowley asked, the way everyone asks a question when they already know the answer, with a raised eyebrow and a faint smirk. I would never, Aziraphale huffed. 
I'm sure no one stole anything. Someone was just confused as to the nature of the... Oh? Crowley asked and drew the very paper out of the waste bin at Aziraphale's feet, stamped with the name of the very bakery from which the purloined biscuits had been purchased. My eyes must be failing me, because it looks exactly like... Give me that! Aziraphale snatched the paper out of Crowley's hand. That's evidence, is what it is! Ah, evidence! Going to mount a full-scale investigation now, eh? I might, at that. Sounds good. I'll round up the usual suspects, then. You... you do that. Crowley strolled off, back to his desk, and if Aziraphale didn't know any better, his shoulders were gently shaking with silent laughter. Thursday, after Gabriel finally came down to the office, threw everyone into a bit of a furore with five new manuscripts he wanted completed by the end of the week. And with no mention of what happened on Monday, Aziraphale considered a mere five manuscripts a blessing indeed. Aziraphale wouldn't hear of anyone helping him with the mess, it being his own fault and all, and he was well prepared for a late night indeed. Around seven, when he thought everyone had gone, there was a strange clicking sound out on the floor, and, upon investigation, the source of them proved to be Crowley, who was ticking away at his keyboard. He had an odd method of typing. He was quick, quicker than Aziraphale anyway, but he rarely used more than the first two fingers on each hand, his ring and pinky fingers suspended in the air as his hands shifted around the keyboard. See something you like? Crowley was looking at him without his glasses. Aziraphale couldn't remember seeing his face without them before. He wanted more time, time to wonder at the honey gold of Crowley's eyes, to compose trackly sonnets in his head to the lines of his face when he was looking at Aziraphale like he'd sprouted wings. But he has been staring far too long as it was. See something? He babbled. No, haven't, haven't seen anything, just I was, well, I was in the office working, and what are you doing here so late? It's all right if I'm here after hours. There was suddenly a chink in the armour of Crowley's smug expression. It doesn't bother you, or... No, no, of course not, not, not in the least. I shouldn't be too much longer anyway, just a few things to finish up. Well, same for me. I'll leave you to it. Crowley remained until Aziraphale started pulling on his coat, at which point he packed up his laptop and followed him out. They shared the elevator down, 
chatting about the dreadful music being played over the tinny speakers, the acute weirdness of being practically the only ones in a building that was usually filled with people, the absurdity of the lobby decor. Before Aziraphale knew it, he had mistakenly followed Crowley out to the car park, where Crowley was walking towards... You actually drive that car? Aziraphale exclaimed, looking at the antique Bentley ahead of them. Through London? No, I tow it on a line behind me, Crowley replied. Of course I drive it. It's... uh... It's quite lovely. Thanks. Aziraphale didn't quite know what to say, so he checked his watch instead and promptly grumbled at the time. 8.15 Suppose I'll go find a bite to eat, Aziraphale muttered, mostly to himself. His favourite sushi restaurant stopped taking orders at 8.30 and he had no desire to be the needy customer whining about deserving an exception. I was thinking the same, Crowley said, fiddling with his keys. His face was turned away and Aziraphale couldn't have seen anything with those damned glasses back on his face anyway. Sunglasses at night, of all the things. Would you... would you like to join me? For a moment, only one mind, it seemed as if the whole of Aziraphale's world had shrunken down to the keys twirling in Crowley's hand and all that they meant. Aziraphale could see the whole of how the night would go, or some version of it anyway. He could say yes, he could get in Crowley's ridiculous car and go out for a night of... of drinking with someone he obviously found very attractive, someone he would very much like to take home, who perhaps even seemed open to the idea of being taken home by him, and then there would be the goodbye, there would be fine fingers that couldn't type correctly, picking up expertly tailored clothes off his floor while Aziraphale made light conversation to cover up the fact that there was an ache blooming in his chest. That would be followed by blithe promises that would never come to pass, followed by falling asleep alone, waking up alone. There would be the next few days of awkward side glances and strained conversation. There would be Gabriel raging at him to shake the high heavens for... For what? He could almost hear Gabriel in his head. I'll tell you to watch out for him. Watch out for this company. And you go on and... And you go off sleeping with the enemy? Aziraphale shook his head. Better not, he said, before Crowley's smile could get the better of him. He tried very much not to notice how that same smile writhed, died, became a ghost of itself before his eyes. Uh, suit yourself, Crowley shrugged. See you tomorrow, yeah? 
Then he waved awkwardly, got into his car, and was out of sight before Aziraphale could change his mind. When Friday rolled around, Crowley didn't show up until one in the afternoon, moving slowly, wincing at loud noises, and when Aziraphale took pity on him enough to bring him a glass of water, Crowley sharply told him it was the least he could do. Whatever is that supposed to mean? Aziraphale asked, but instead of answering, Crowley's face flushed red from forehead to chin, and he began distractedly rooting through the drawers of his desk, as if looking for something. Crowley? Sorry, I just... I have a lot of work and this headache isn't going anywhere. We can talk next week. Aziraphale didn't even take Crowley up on his offer, and yet he got the blithe promises anyway. Crowley resolutely typed at his computer until five in the afternoon, at which time he bid farewell to everyone else in the office and left without another word. So it went for the next week. Crowley would show up late, putter about, and occasionally steal moments of Michael, Mr. Young, or Anathema's time to query them about their process, their methods, their efficiency, and leave promptly by five. Aziraphale was not put out by the fact that Crowley hadn't asked him a single thing since that night in the car park, not at all. It wasn't... Crowley had gone home and decided that it wasn't... that it wasn't appropriate. Yes, that was it. It was nothing against Aziraphale personally, it was merely... Aziraphale was tossing a ceramic paperweight from side to side as he tried to reason himself happier, a process that rarely bore fruit, when there was a soft knock on the open door. The only person who knocked like that was... Hey, Aziraphale. Oh, hello, Crowley. Come in. Aziraphale bit the inside of his mouth and determined to tone it down a few degrees henceforth as he welcomed Crowley into his office. Nah, don't want to interrupt you. Just wanted to know if you're free for lunch today. Aziraphale knocked the paperweight off his desk, where it splintered into a million pieces. Christ, I'm sorry, I'm... Crowley moved from the door to the floor faster than Aziraphale could even get up. I didn't mean... It's just to discuss work things, I... No, no! Aziraphale began, then realized his error. I mean, yes, we could. I would like to. I'm free today, for lunch. If you are to discuss work, things. Excellent, Aziraphale. Very smooth. 
They both took a second to breathe, and within the span of that breath, it occurred to Aziraphale that Crowley was on his knees in his office. And even though his hands were full of shards which had been a paperweight shaped like a stack of books, and even though Aziraphale's chair was nowhere near him, he imagined what this would look like to anyone passing by. Anyone who heard the crash and came to check on him, like Michael, Anathema, or God forbid, Gabriel. And he sprang up like his chair was on fire. Oh, all right, that's good then, Crowley replied. He stood as well and dropped the broken pieces into the bin. I'll uh, pick you up 12.30 then. Well, not really pick you up, obviously. I'll meet you here. Or out on the floor. Unless... Here will be fine, Aziraphale assured him. And don't worry, we won't be... It's not like we're really going anywhere. Oh, no? Aziraphale tried very hard not to sound disappointed. It's not like he had been thinking about the night Crowley had asked him for dinner for the last week. Not in the least. He hadn't been thinking about where they might have gone, what sort of cuisine Crowley favoured, what kind of wine he might have. Too late, he realised that Crowley was still talking. Figured that wouldn't be the best, so I thought we might go up to the roof. Michael said it's all right up there. There's chairs and things, although I'm not sure I like the way she looked at me when she said it. Yes, I mean, she's right. It is rather nice up there. Quiet. Good. Great. Whatever you like, ain't... <clears throat> Crowley coughed for a moment before recovering. And I'll grab us some lunch from the coffee shop across the street. Any preferences? Sandwiches or otherwise? No, I'm sure whatever you get will be just fine. But, well, perhaps a cup of Earl Grey? You sure? Aziraphale was not sure. What he favoured from the shop, what he really wanted was... Well, it was childish, and Crowley would... Yes. A cup of Earl Grey, Crowley clarified again. Not a cup of cocoa like I saw you drinking yesterday morning. There was a feeling creeping into Aziraphale's heart, a feeling that was as warm and gold as the freckles in Crowley's eyes that Aziraphale had only managed to catch small glimpses of when those dreadful glasses were absent. Oh. Oh, no! That... that would be rather nice, I think. Sure. The corner of Crowley's mouth twitched. See you around 12.30, then. At precisely 12.38, two men walked out onto the roof of the Celestial Publishing Building. 
A few iron tables and chairs, set out for warmer days, were empty, and there was a potted plant on each table. The poor things were struggling from the lack of attention, and when they sat down, Crowley reached out and grazed one of the leaves, as if in encouragement. The chairs and table were a bit chilly, and the cool breeze whipping the top of the building didn't help matters. In a coat, sweater, dress shirt and vest, Aziraphale was quite comfortable, but he worried a bit for Crowley, with nothing to protect him from the cold except his well-fitted clothes and thin blazer. If he was uncomfortable, he made no mention of it, though his nose turned rather red right away, and he got right down to business, pulling out a folder and a pen and making some notes. Aziraphale took the time to enjoy the sandwiches and the large cup of cocoa Crowley had brought for him, and wondered at the iced coffee and pastry that sat on Crowley's side of the table, untouched. Crowley didn't make much conversation, just asked him a few preliminary questions, including his name. You already know it. Ah, yes, couldn't forget it, could I? His age. Is the exact number really necessary? Don't tell me you're one of those celebrating the 15th anniversary of their 29th birthday. And how long he had worked for the company. Too long, I think, is what Aziraphale thought, but he said ten years, which was close enough. Right then, Crowley said, flipping a page in the folder. Let's get to the meat of it. How long does it take you to edit a manuscript? Well, that depends, doesn't it? Aziraphale sat back in his chair. The genre, the experience of the author. Just an estimate will be fine. Possibly about a minute for each page. That's much faster than the rest of the stuff. You'll find the rest of the stuff is the rest of the stuff for a reason, I should think. I should think you ever hear that pride is a sin, ain't... <clears throat> that slip of the tongue again, like Crowley had done earlier in Aziraphale's office. I do hear that, yes. I shall have to rely on my other virtues, I suppose. Crowley's face was unreadable for a moment, and then he dutifully returned to the questions at hand. Finally, after twenty minutes of discussing his process, his feel for a work and all the rest, Crowley leaned back in his chair, flipped over to another page and tapped his pen thoughtfully against the paper. The rest of these are just little personality questions. Don't worry so much about them. Oh, another ma tried to do this once. She got very frustrated with me. Something about my star chart being all wrong. Ah, uh, yes, star charts. I should have been consulting her this whole time. She's very... Aziraphale searched for the word. Enthusiastic. 
Crowley arched an eyebrow at the choice of word. Enthusiastic. In a manner of speaking. This is not like star charts. Oh, good. I might not get it all wrong then. Aziraphale gamely motioned for him to proceed. The questions were not as strange as Aziraphale had been expecting. Little questions about scenarios and decisions, a bit too trolley problem for his tastes, and he had no idea how any of this was supposed to help Crowley program software for his department, but Crowley made encouraging sounds as he made little tick marks on his papers, and so Aziraphale kept answering. Now, this last one is a bit... well, it's a bit strange. Because the rest of them have been so standard, I imagine? Yes. Now let me finish. Aziraphale sighed, as if he was the most put-upon person in all of the world. This one is a bit of a riddle. It usually trips people up a bit, let's say, and only because you're not like the rest of the completely intolerable people I'm usually building for, I'll even give you a hint. Oh, not completely intolerable, you say? I thought I said harsh. What you said was be quiet. Well, you're not doing that either. Fine, yes, continue. So, like I was saying, I'll give you one hint. And the hint is this. Never assume. Never assume? Crowley gave up trying to call out Aziraphale's interruptions. Yes. Now, here we go. So, a detective breaks into an apartment and finds Harry and Grace lying on the floor, dead. Oh, a mystery! Aziraphale refrained from clapping his hands in delight, but only just. Crowley's lip quirked, and he continued. Beside them was a small pool of water and some fragments of broken glass. Above them, on a sofa looking down at them, was a pet cat, his back arched. The detective concluded, without further investigation, that the victims had died of strangulation. How was this conclusion possible? Aziraphale listened intently and almost blurted out the answer before Crowley had finished. Hmm... But he had been told to never assume. What if what he was assuming was the answer was the wrong assumption? Or was his assumption correct and the majority of assumptions wrong? Why was the word assume so strange? How many people had Crowley asked this question? Did he know how fetching he looked when the sunlight caught his hair and the wind blew it about just so? Aziraphale, do you give up? Of, of course not. 
he fumbled, trying to regain his footing in the conversation, before it went wandering off in contemplation of how it would feel to run his fingers through Crowley's hair. The only thing is, well... He blustered to himself about the silliness of the thing, but... Were Harry and Grace goldfish? Crowley's face burst into a smile, a real smile, very much like the one Aziraphale had been graced with on Thursday. <laughs> no, he said, laughing and shaking a bit. <laughs> they weren't goldfish, <laughs> they were rare tropical fish, just, you know... He mumbled something as he turned away that Aziraphale didn't quite catch. If pressed, and his reason couldn't get the better of him, he would have sworn Crowley said, like you, and all the self-deprecating his inner monologue could muster was not enough to quash the fluttery feeling in the region of his heart. Aziraphale thought about making a small quip. He thought about telling Crowley that if he wanted his phone number, he didn't have to drum up all this bluster, he could just ask. He even opened his mouth to say so. But then Crowley turned to him with that crooked smile, and all bravery went right out of the window. Aziraphale, Crowley said breathlessly. Yes. I can't feel my fingers. Aziraphale opened his eyes wide, saw the barely imperceptible shiver Crowley had been trying to hide, trembling in his hands. Crowley, why didn't you say something? He didn't wait for an answer before taking off his coat and putting it around Crowley's bony shoulders, heedless of Crowley's spotted protests. You'll catch your death out here, and iced coffee, really, dear. He bundled Crowley off the roof and back down to the office, where he asked Anathema to make him a cup of hot tea with honey and lemon. He wanted to do more, but Gabriel called down to have a conference call with the whole office for two hours about nothing. At least nothing that Aziraphale could remember was important. Anathema or Michael would catch anything he missed, and he was stuck answering emails for the rest of the day. Crowley left the office promptly at five, as he usually did nowadays. But Aziraphale found a note pinned to the coat he left over his chair in a startlingly lovely handwriting. Thanks for the coat. See you tomorrow. It felt like a promise.